Yes, definitely a prayer for me this morning. Right, um, so we're looking at um, the disciples and the apostles and what we can learn from them. And today, um, we're looking at Silas. And that was quite a lot that Tina read out, but I want to unwrap it, and I felt if we had the big picture, it would make more sense what I'm going to, what I'm going to kind of pull out of it. So, Silas, I'm going to give you a bit of a little whistle-stop whistle tour of Silas and um, the bits that we see of him in the Bible, because we don't see absolutely loads of him. It's ma- he's mainly mentioned in Acts chapters 15 and 16 and 17, and today I'm just going to look at, at Acts chapters 15 and 16. And I'm going to look at what we can learn from Silas himself, from his personality, from his character, but also what can we learn from the Silas stories? What does God teach us about the situations that he was in? So we first meet Silas in, um, in Acts chapter 15. And basically, what's happened is the gospel has started going out. And the Jews had originally been given the law through Moses. And it was quite a strict law because God had turned around to Moses and he'd said, um, right, you've got to be set apart, you've got to be holy, you've got to, you've got to set an example. You've got to show that you're my people to the world. And there were certain guidelines. One was circumcision, there was food laws that they had to obey. And God gave the Jews these guidelines. But what happened was, the gospel started going out. And these non-Jews, these Gentiles, started connecting with it, wanted to become part of it. But these newbies weren't following the rules. They didn't want to get circumcised, funnily enough. They didn't want to obey the food laws. And this was potentially a church-splitting event. To give you the context of what this was in that day, this was perhaps like the church now having a same-gender couple apply for the post at a vicarage. It was like, but we've got these rules, and that's not, that's not, that's not what God said. That's not how God defined a marriage. And it was such a big issue that they had this council in Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas go to this council and it's basically thrashed out. Have these newbies got to follow our rules? And the bottom line is that they said no. If they receive God, if they receive Jesus in their heart, they haven't got to be circumcised. And that was massive. It was such a big deal that not only were they going to send Paul and Barnabas back to everybody to tell them that, they wrote a letter putting it in black and white that actually the goalposts had changed. And it was still such a big deal that they sent two people back with the letter to go, this is real, this letter is real, not just what they're saying is real, here's the letter and we are the living endorsement that we've watched this letter be right and the council agreed to it. And two of the guys that they sent back with this letter One was called Judas, and one was called Silas. It says in verse 22 of chapter 15, they, that's Judas and Silas, were men who were leaders amongst the believers. The reality was they were trusted, they were recognized, they were looked up to. They were leaders, and they were leaders with influence. They were a living endorsement. 
And that tells us a little bit about Silas' personality. It tells us that he was pioneering because he wouldn't have gone with the letter if he didn't actually agree to it. The fact that he went along with it, he was validating that he believed it was the right way to go. So we can see that Silas is pioneering and we can see that he's trustworthy. A little later on in Acts chapter 15, we have another little snapshot of Silas. And what happens is, Paul and Barnabas have decided to go on this mission. And Barnabas says, I want to take Mark. And Paul, they have this big argument. Paul's like, no, I don't want to take Mark. In fact, I'll give you what Paul said. Paul did not think it was wise to take him, that was Mark, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. And he had not continued in the work. And it's awful when men of God fall out. And it was a big split. And the reality was that Paul, Paul and Barnabas went their different ways and Paul then took Silas out on mission. He took him out on his second missionary journey and he took him out to Syria. And Barnabas and Mark went off to Cyprus. So again we can see the fact that Paul took Silas with him, he really held him in high esteem. So, so far we're seeing lots of positives about Silas. And then we have chapter 16, which Tina so kindly read. And the reality is that Paul has, he's, he's, he's performed this exorcism on this girl, and this evil spirit's been kicked out. But the reality is this, this girl was a slave girl. She had an owner. She was a moneymaker. She was making this guy cash. And once this spirit had been kicked out, she could no longer tell fortunes. And so the owner was obviously not very happy. So he plays the race card. And what he actually does, is he says in verse 20, these men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar. They are advocating customs that are unlawful for us Romans. Well, the reality is, Paul and Silas were both Roman citizens. They were taken, they were beaten with rods. That was illegal. Roman citizens were exempt from beatings. So they're taken, they're thrown into prison. What's their response when they're in prison? They praise and they pray and they exalt God. And that would have been a dire situation. That wasn't a modern 21st century prison. That was damp, that was dark, they'd been beaten. I don't suppose it was a light beating. They knew inside, even though they hadn't been given the opportunity to say that they were actually Roman, they knew it was wrong, they knew it was unjust, they knew it was immoral. They knew it wasn't fair. That was a dark hour for them. And what did they do? They praised. But then we have this magnificent little God moment in verse 26. The prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Can you imagine that? So we're not just talking an earthquake. We're talking the doors blew off and the chains dropped to the ground. That was a supernatural event. That wasn't just an earthquake. And the reality is the jailer then goes into panic because he knows he's facing capital punishment. If these prisoners are gone, he's dead. So he goes for this, well, he wants to commit suicide, he wants to fall on his sword, and Paul shouts, no! Verse 28, don't harm yourselves. We are all here. He doesn't say we are both here, just me and Silas. We are all here. The prisoners were all still sat around with their mouths open, probably quite gobsmacked by the event. 
And what was the jailer's response? His hard heart was softened. The reality was, I'm sure he probably had a bit to do with the beating. What happened now? He wanted to wash Silas' wounds. He wanted to tend to him. He wanted to care for him. This is probably just something that God's speaking to me personally. But so often we have our rules. And as people walk into any church, we want them to kind of line up with the rules and then they can become a Christian. And the Holy Spirit so often has said to me lately, no, that's my job. You don't convict. I'll do that naturally and actually I'll do it better than you. The jailer changes. We have this midnight baptism. There's no electric. There's no heated swimming pools. There's no sunshine to warm the water. But we have a midnight baptism. And then we have hospitality. He wants to take them back. The reality is the next day, the city officials realise that Paul and Silas actually are Roman citizens. Their imprisonment had violated Roman law. So as, as we heard, they were released immediately. So I read those stories, and there's not a lot there, but there's three things that just really smack me in the face. <laughs> the first one is, God turns chaos into order. Our mess, our bad situations, our horrible circumstances, they can always be turned around for kingdom good. Now hear me, I'm not saying that he will answer your prayer exactly as you want it answered. It doesn't usually work like that. But he does answer it for kingdom good. If you think back to the, the disagreement at the end of chapter 15, that was massive. When Christians fall out and they fall out publicly, that's huge. But what was the reality of it? What was the unexpected consequence? Two mission trips. Two teams evangelising. Two different countries. Double the impact. Take the imprisonment. What happens there? Missional opportunity. You know, we read of the jailer and his family coming to faith. You know, you can bet your bottom dollar, I bet a lot of those prisoners did after watching those doors fly off. And we know that this is a trait of God. We know this is a core character attribute of God, that he takes mess and he turns it into positive. He turns chaos into order in Genesis. You know, if you take, you know, Adam and Eve and the fall, and Mark's got a T-shirt and he's got this, this apple on with a bite out of it, and it says, you know, not our finest hour. You know, it's probably the, the biggest underquote of history. And the reality is, you know, they're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And, you know, up until that point, they had eternal life. They had the tree of life they could eat from. And they're kicked out in the angel's garden. It's like, you can't go back there. And their body clocks start ticking. And death has been introduced because God's already sacrificed to cover them. The reality is, they are now going to die. That, that was a dire, dire, dire point. But what... What does it do? How does God turn it round? <coughs> well, death's introduced, which means sacrifice is introduced, which means the cross is introduced, which means resurrection is possible. Joseph, with his coat of many colours, you know, to be thrown into a pit, stripped, 
you know, sold to slave, slave, um, slave to, sold to a caravan of merchant dealers as a slave by your siblings. That's a pretty rubbish situation to be in. God turns it for good. In effect, he becomes the prime minister of Egypt, feeds a nation. And we see God doing this all through, all through scripture. We see it in the New Testament. The Christians are persecuted and it was horrific. What Nero did was absolutely horrific. So they run away, they wanna get away from Jerusalem. And the gospel, God takes the gospel out and out and out and it ripples out into the world. You know, when Paul is put into house arrest in Rome, I imagine for Paul, the frustration would have been massive. You know, he, he covered tens of thousands of miles. His heart was to, to take the gospel out. I imagine for him, being in house arrest was just unbearable. How does God turn it for good? Well, he can't visit his beloved churches, so he writes to them, and we have his letters. We can read them again and again and again. So my bottom line is, whatever chaos is going on in your life, it could be marriage problems, it could be health, it could be work, it could be friendships, God can always use it for good for his kingdom purpose. He can always use it as a, as, a, as, a, as a way of glory being given back to him. Which takes me on to my second point. When Paul and Silas were sat in that prison and they were tested, what did they do? They got out God's weaponry. They prayed and they praised. They didn't get out a sword, they got out singing. You know, they didn't get out of an axe, they got out, they, they prayed. God's weaponry is always the best. Always, always, always the best. And the reality is, that was a testing moment for them. Um, I don't know if many of you have heard of an acid test, but you know, in the olden days when gold was a currency, it was, it was common currency, if somebody thought that um, so they were about to be paid and it was a bit dubious as to whether it was actually gold or it was fake gold, they would get out nitric acid and they would tip a bit on the acid, a bit on the gold. And the reality is, it was a test. And it was a test to show whether the gold was genuine or was a fake. If it was fake, it decomposed. If your gold was genuine, it was unaffected. This was like an acid test for Paul and Barnabas. And what did they do? They still praised God, they still prayed, they still exalted. They knew that they were in the centre of God's plan, even though it felt like everything was going wrong, and they thanked him for it. And the reality is, we demonstrate our inner beliefs by our outward actions. And quite often, it's the truth that's revealed when there are times that are testing. It's easy to be smiley and happy and praisey when life's all going tickety-boo, but when actually it's really difficult that's when we're tested and that's when we can show our inner belief, our inner strengths. They were salt and light in the middle of the night in a damp, dark cell. And God saw it. God saw it and God responded. Which takes me on to my third point. It says... In verses 23 and 24. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and then he fastened their feet in stocks. So the reality is they weren't just in the jail. They hadn't just been beaten, probably to a pulp. They were put in the inner cell and not only were they in the inner cell, not only were they chained, their feet were in stocks. And my point is, no matter how securely men are bound, God can always set them free. Mm. Which, when, when this morning Richard mentioned what the team had been praying about, about bondage and about the fact that God is not beyond God, God can, God can sort that out, I thought, yeah, that's the point. That's the main point, maybe. It's the third point here. But actually, maybe that's the main point. I'll say it again. No matter how securely men are bound, God can always set them free. And so, you know, we can get out God's weaponry, you know, from point two, and we can pray for our friends. We can pray for our spouses, you know, if they're not of faith. We can pray for our kids if they're going off the rails. We can pray for colleagues at work, because no matter how bound they are by the world, it's not beyond God to set them free. So I'll just wrap it up with a a conclusion. Three points. God can turn chaos and does turn chaos to order. Have faith, trust in him. No matter how difficult a situation, he'll get you through. Second point, when tested, get out God's weaponry. The best battles are the ones that are won on your knees. And third point, no matter how bound anybody is, God can always set them free. Amen.